everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bias Check-In. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Susie, what are we checking in with? This month, April, is Autism Awareness Month, also known as Autism and Neurodivergence Awareness Celebration Acceptance. The jury is still out on the name, depending on which organization you get your information from, but you get the gist. April 2nd is World Autism Awareness Day, according to the World Health Organization. And I'm going to read a very non-exhaustive list of everything that's under the neurodivergent umbrella. So raise your hand if you feel identified with any of these. ADHD, DID, antisocial, borderline, narcissistic, dyslexia, CPTSD, dyspraxia, high sensitivity, sensory processing, dyscalculia, PTSD, dysgraphia, bipolar, autism, epilepsy, general anxiety, OCD, traumatic brain injury, tic disorders, schizophrenia, misophonia, histrionic, Down syndrome, fetal alcohol syndrome, and synesthesia. And while we would love to do an episode, and we will do an episode about neurodivergence and autism in the workplace, we care a lot about this topic and we want to do it right. I want to talk about my OCD and talk about those experiences. Claudia, you want to talk about your ADHD experience? Yep, I'm a buy one, get one free, ADHD and anxiety both. But we're also aware that our experiences aren't universal. That's one of the challenges of neurodivergence and all of its thousand flavors. We'll come back to it and we'll do it right. But Susie, for this episode, what have you been up to? Um, I decided to go to PSYOP all by my lonesome self. You're not coming with me and I'm very bitter about it, but I'll be in Boston if anyone wants to keep me company. Okay, for the record, I'm not abandoning you. I'm bitter about it too. Sorry. <laughs> Some of us can't go. I have FOMO. Leave me alone. Still, I'm going by myself. It's weird. You know, we presented last year together. We got recruited into like the PSYOP Advocacy Academy together. I don't know. It's going to be weird not going with you. At least last year. I was recognized by people legitimately because I was the one standing next to the redhead and the redhead must be Susie. So if only one of us gets to go, at least it's you. Because if unless I get a wig and put it on the person sitting next to me, I don't know if I will make connections. <laughs> so, so true. So people, if you see Susie at Sayop. The hashtag is going to be like Sayop Redheads. I'll be monitoring Twitter. So feed the FOMO, please. Okay. Jokes aside, let's talk about the Advocacy Academy. So we haven't talked about it yet because, as Susie mentioned, we were recruited into it oof, a, year, a whole year ago um, after our session at Sayop. And it's just wrapping up with March 2023. So we wanted to have the whole experience before talking about it. Um, but for those that don't know, 
The Advocacy Academy is an initiative that SIOP started in collaboration with Lewis Burke and Associates. Tagline was members will learn about science policy, the legislative and budget processes, and federal advocacy and engagement, eventually culminating in a congressional advocacy campaign to promote SIA priorities. And so, since I wrapped up my congressional advocacy meetings on Monday, and this past Monday and Thursday was our last, like, team academy meeting full unboxing full review so Susie let's start from let's start from you like I couldn't be at the review so what was the the official conclusion so much as an official conclusion but they opened it up to all the people who were able to attend the meeting mostly my team and the other midwest team that did complete the meetings were the people who attended Um, But we can start from the beginning of how it was structured. For me, meaning once a month, I lost a lot of the information between sessions and it was hard to get back into it or understand how it would map back out to the priorities for PSYOP. I would tend to agree. Like meeting only once a month, like that's a big gap to have between sessions. You can't just say, oh, remember last episode? No, I don't. <laughs> that was definitely a bit of a challenge, but I don't know I don't know what I could suggest to solve it if it would be to have like maybe session every two weeks and turn it into a six months program. Maybe that could be demanding too much of people's time and schedules and so attendance would drop. Obviously attendance was an issue how many people did we start off with and I remember we sent messages to people like oh my god you're also doing this and we never saw them again (laughs) and I'm also not gonna call out people without being honest like I missed the final review session I also dropped the class way after the drop date expired but we'll get into the challenges that come with like free classes and volunteering like maybe in a little bit the other challenge Mm -hmm. I saw with it like I am so interested and I love the intersection of organizational psychology and poli-sci when we walked into that session with congressman Kilmer Susie can testify I was walking three feet from the ground because he Mm -hmm. works on the congress organizational effectiveness committee they're literally fixing congress ideally in theory that, that's the job description. Mm-hmm. And that is fascinating to me. And like one of the best possible applications of our research and what IO psychologists, in my mind, stand for. And then we go into the sessions and at least for like the little policy minor heart of mine, the first couple months were very slow to take because we went through so mm-hmm. much policy 101. And so it was also, I also understand people dropping off and be like, okay, why am I back in civics class? I don't see the connection yeah. with what I want to do. Yeah, I mean, I took U.S. history and U.S. government was part of student government too, but I don't know. I think it was meant for it to like even out the playing field and also make it feel less intimidating. But I agree that 
the very first sessions watching schoolhouse rock how a bill becomes a law and those sessions same feeling same vibe um but also like you are starting a program you're gonna even out the playing field and not everyone's gonna be at your same level you gotta stick it through though but then knowing how the academy ended with me having to schedule and meet with staffers i'm not really sure those first sessions really did much or I didn't see the connections to where I got I don't know does that make sense yeah I I don't know that knowing the three branches really prepared you for that I think it would be much more embarrassing if you went into a meeting with a staffer and didn't know the three branches but um I don't know. Again, on the other side, I also can see how um, having the initial, yes, it makes it less intimidating and also it levels the playing field because we're organizational psychologists. We don't necessarily take policy classes. Our social science credits are kind of taken care of. So you don't want to make assumptions about that. Um, some of the best advice I got from a professor I taught under was to not fall into the mistake of assuming that you're teaching people like yourself. So I think that goes to my criticism of I would have enjoyed it more if there wasn't that policy 101, but my enjoyment wasn't necessarily a learning objective of the series, like for the wider community. I think that could still work. Maybe just giving more structure to it. Yeah, like mapping it back to the learning objectives. Remember that session on Biden's budget. At the time, I was very confused. But then in the meeting where they talked about the priorities and us scheduling with staffers and talking to staffers about those SIA priorities, one of them was very significant to the budget. So like that made sense, but it wasn't until that very session that I needed to already be on the move and talking to staffers about it. And to be fair, I don't think absolutely anyone on earth could teach everything about the budgetary process in an hour, a semester. Like, I'm sure someone out there has a PhD just in that. And they're still confused from time to time. Um, But yeah, I remember going through that and thinking like, oh my gosh, this session is dense. This is useful information. But also, holy cow, the intellectual overwhelm is definitely there. But in contrast, then we had that presentation with Representative Christine Reeves. And she talked about studying iopsychology introducing state legislatures as places of work, highlighting the need for modernizing equity and inclusion and leadership development, and very neatly, what can IO psychology do to help? She was so great. And I actually remember like we were sitting next to her in the session with Congressman Kilmer. I We just didn't know who she was necessarily at the time. But she got her PhD in IO psychology while working as a local representative for um, her district in Washington state. Can you imagine taking comps while Senate is in session? 
like and doing both <laughs> i i still want to know what her planner looks like or if she has multiple or if she actually is the one muggle that got a time turner i don't know i'm i mean all i know dedication and ambition <laughs> it takes you a very long way but no back to the advocacy academy as a whole we learned a lot but we were the first cohort so we were quote-unquote like the lab rats now they're working out the kinks from what we experienced and yeah i mean i still feel like we were thrown to the wind like now go talk to staffers but hopefully with time the program improves yeah i definitely remember entering this thinking like oh my gosh we're gonna be the next io olivia pope and i left feeling more like an intern that got lost in the DC subway. It It's a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's also like the exciting thing if you go into it knowing that you're the first cohort or like that there will be those learning pains in the process. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's exciting. It's definitely not. a. It doesn't have the pros that a structured, established program would have. It's going to have that mm-hmm. in 10 years. And another thing to consider with us being the first cohort and before we started recording, Susie shared that the last session, again, I missed it. Apparently, I wasn't the only one not in the room because attendance dropped. And it's strange to think of some how like the statistical power you hold in that situation, working with that small of a sample. And so mm-hmm. in a sense, it will get... The organizers got a lot of feedback from people, but they will need to go through a couple more iterations of that to understand what is constructive feedback and what is just, oh, I would like less policy 101. So how much of bias and how much constructive criticism and how to determine between the two. Talking about constructive feedback, back in April 2021, we were Zoom facilitators for PSYOPs fully virtual conference and we talked about our experience in our episode scholars they're just like us Um, but we were the first cohort of Zoom technical facilitators oh lordy yes we were Um, so going back down memory lane that year PSYOP was supposed to be in New Orleans but for obvious reasons panoramas pandemics and what have you we were fully online and the need for so much technical support gotta say like whoever thought that up was very smart they organized a program through which you could volunteer to work as tech support for sessions and you would get a free pass to watch all the other sessions which is student free bonanza central like of course i'll give you a couple hours i don't have to pay the ticket yeah yeah you came over to my apartment and we had alternating schedules but all day we each had like two or three sessions that we were tech support on and it was a lot (laughs) but go listen to that episode if you want Uh, but i have a question for you but part of your job now is this volunteer management, conferences, uh, talking to instructors. So 
remember how we felt about having to or being put in charge for having our presenters be on top of their shit? <laughs> how do you feel about that now? <laughs> um, I remember how uncomfortable we both were with it when we went through the volunteer training. And I'm still on the fence about it because on one side, the psychological power imbalance that was definitely there. Like, hi, I'm a second year graduate student. Can I hold you accountable, Mr. SME, PhD, super duper professor that literally wrote the paper you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Interesting dynamic. Um, and also, it's, we weren't really holding any cards in our hands to actually hold people accountable like oh if you don't you know if you don't give me your slides i'm gonna mute you half presentation or i'm gonna kick you out of your own session like of course (laughs) we're not gonna do that but and here's where the being on the fence comes in i cannot think of a better alternative objectively the volunteers so the comedian the volunteers that were planning and organizing all of the Zoom facilitators, even though I didn't enjoy the experience in the moment, knowing and having been exposed now to the amount of work that goes on behind the scenes, I have so much respect because that was not their job. They were just putting in time on top of their nine to five to do all of that. And they did think of almost every possible contingency that they could control. It's not a good solution But I think it was the best that they had and the best that I can still think of two years later. Yeah, I mean, I went over to your place. I was babysitting your cats and I had my first like presenter meeting to check in on them and to ask like the foreman and when they were going to send me their slides. And I was like, okay, you don't send me your slides on time. What? do I do like do I not let people into the zoom room do I tell them to wait um like my name is not attached to it but yours is I don't know tech support is a weird feeling I still feel weird about it but I also checked like 30,000 times if I was recording I didn't want anyone from PSYOP screaming at me and fair disclaimer again I don't think they would have screamed at you they were nice. They were very supportive. But definitely, yeah, that anxiety of like, I know this is not a lot that I'm doing. I'm not the one presenting, as you said. But say like, am I doing everything I need to be doing? Because someone out there is relying on me to record this session. And if I don't do it, then yeah, I would feel terrible. But yeah, so with this recap and our constructive feedback, we were the one and only cohort. <laughs> And honestly, good thing that we were. I'm I'm very happy that we could go back to in-person the next year or like semi-hybrid with a few online sessions. Because the Zoom fatigue that we felt after that day, I, I don't want to experience that ever again. I know. Every time I see my calendar and it's full of meetings, it does give me a little flashbacks of that day. But hey, um, talking about like really long meetings... <laughs> Uh, Do you want to talk about the ODN? So in this case, we didn't 
quite make it into the first cohort, but um, the ODN, so the Organizational Development Network, we were part of their global OD competency framework learning series. And yeah, I think we were, I'm blanking if we were the second or the third cohort. So top three. For anyone who's not familiar with the ODN or what the global competency framework is, is that very much like in IO psychology, organizational development, there's a lot of variation in practices, areas of focus, and what an OD practitioner may do in their career could be completely different from what someone else does. So this program is an idea to unify and give that professional standard, give that common language to practitioners so that we can differentiate and define better what OD is and what we can offer organizations. So series of classes, again, very similar in structure to the Advocacy Academy in the sense that we met once a month, but also very different in the demands that the program had. Yeah, in more of our thoughts on the ODN, very personally, when we enrolled, somehow my email kept getting lost from the list of contact. So first session, I didn't know what's happening. And second, I didn't do the readings for it. So we, Claudia tells me it's starting. It's a three-hour session. And I feel as lost as ever because I didn't do the readings. I had no idea where pe- what people were talking about. And it hit the ground running because we only had so many sessions together. Yeah, especially thinking of it in comparison to the Advocacy Academy. Well, yeah, it was hilarious because I would get the email, but I would not realize that it was the third Thursday of the month or whatever. So then Susie would remind me that we had ODN. I would need to send her the link. It it was a whole process. Thank God that we're friends and we talk relatively often. Um, But compared to the Advocacy Academy on the demand side, I would say they did a good job of telling us what would be expected once we enrolled. It it was still an understatement of the amount of work that you could put into the class if you wanted to get the most out of it. Because like there were readings, there were videos, there were study groups, there were discussion groups. It, it was a lot more demanding, I think, in the way it was intended than almost any class I've taken in formal education and schooling. Yeah, super grateful, but it definitely could have felt like a grad school class if you took full advantage of it. But it was hard to take full advantage coming in when some people weren't taking it that seriously. So like I would get the readings from Claudia, show up mentally prepared for another three hour session. And then as time goes by, you see the number of participants going down. You come into the breakout rooms. Everyone is camera off, muted. And when finally someone speaks up, either they didn't do the readings or they're kind of lost or, oh, I just had to take a quick call because they were also in the middle of the workday. 
So it was it was hard to give the level of commitment that they expected. Absolutely. Like I think we saw so much of the same things that you see when you first start going to college and like, oh, that kid is talking a lot. And then you do the reading and you're like, oh, they were just spitballing or everything that you've mentioned. I've both seen it done and being guilty of like the people starting with like, hey, happy Friday, Junior. Like, where are y'all coming in from? Where do you work? Let's chit chat. And it's like, oh, so you don't want to talk about this either, huh? works by me (laughs) something that really worked for me was having the accountability of taking that class with you and knowing having that built-in reminder of like hey you need to send me the readings hey that means we have class soon hey that means there's things on your to-do list you were not that naggy but it, it was it was a good reminder but on the other side one thing they i really really wish they improved on and I do think it's not that big of a change and hopefully can just get better with iterations was that we will get all the readings a week before the class. And I was like, this week I'm busy. I have so much to do. Like I don't have the time to read four articles and watch two videos. Like, why is this grad school again? Um, And so I would love for them to send the materials out sooner I also want to be realistic that, honestly, if they sent it two weeks in, I probably (laughs) would have still not planned my time that well. Remember, beginning of the episode, we mentioned that ADHD, my middle name might as well be procrastination. We're working on it. But I do think it would have made life a little bit less overwhelming. I don't necessarily think that it would have made much of a difference for you either (laughs) with how you planned your reading time. Yeah. But it is but it is finding that balance between being underwhelming and overwhelming with like how much how much they're expecting of us, what expectations we're putting on ourselves for that program, for that workshop, and how well they've planned it. But talking about improvements My first year at Roosevelt was when they started the mentorship program. Um, So Claudia's year, second years were mentors to my year, to my cohort. Um, And then when I stepped into Ryopa, my second year, I took the mentorship program over and did quote-unquote improvements. So we can talk about that. We can talk about how you didn't have a mentee. I didn't have a mentor and I didn't have a mentee. Like one of my saltiest moments in grad school. Um, Again, as I said, thank God Susie is in my life now because otherwise I would miss a lot more emails. Um, But (laughs) when it came time to sign up to be a mentor, I love the idea of it. I've been a mentor in undergrad. I've been a mentor when I was still in high school. Love, love, love the social support that that can give. So I signed up and then my school email at the time I was both an employee and a student and that confused the crap out of our IT department. And so my one of my institutional emails got deactivated. And of course, that was the one that our program director used to try to contact me. And so I was like, oh, okay, so she's no longer available or interested. And so I never got paired. 
Still so salty about it. Darn you, IT. I'm just saying, someone in your cohort missed out. But it's okay. I think they survived. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you would have liked anyone else but me. And that's on Susie, Queen of the Universe. Moving on. Um, you weren't my mentor, but my mentor was one of your grad school friends. And so I knew of you. You knew of me. We've talked about our origin story. We have the receipts now. I texted you first. As <laughs> you should, the as the mentee, as the junior one. Not true. The mentor should be the one reaching out. You have the social power. So for a little bit of context on that, as many other graduate school programs, we had a student club where you could take leadership roles. We called it RYOPA, Roosevelt Industrial Organizational Psychology Association. I happened to be in leadership the year when the pandemic happened. Didn't get to do much with it. Um, and then Susie's cohort picked up the mantle and she picked up the mantle among other things of the mentorship program and taking it away from staff responsibilities. So did you set up a process? Was the mentee or the mentor supposed to text first? Have you met me? Of course I did. I sent out an email to the mentors telling them who their mentee was and to reach out in the next, like, I give them a deadline and then an email to the mentees telling them who their mentor was and that they would be reaching out to them. Of course. Duh. But I guess my improvements were more on how I paired people. Um, we Back then, we were part of this other, like, club thing and there was other program directors there. I asked if they had something similar. One of them reached out and gave me a survey that they used. So I kind of edited that survey and used it to our advantage. And I basically just wanted to make sure that the people would want to have a relationship, um, mentor-mentee, and what their interests were going to be as the mentees, like what their interests were. Um so that mentors could be more helpful for them. Um, also incorporated feedback from my class, like, do you want your um, mentor to help you study, help you find internships? Like, what are you looking for? Those kind of things. I'm just smirking a lot because you would think like, again, where are your psychologists? We know that surveys and collecting data are the way to go. But of course, leave it to you to do it by the book. And do you know if that, I actually don't remember because I had, after that I graduated, but did the program continue? I could find out, but I really don't know. Um, my mentee became president of Ryopa, so... Everyone I met through her were kind of her mentees. Um, but I don't know. Now they are second year, so I don't know. I could find out if you really want me to. Yeah. That's also like another aspect that it will be interesting to follow 
through the years and see if the Advocacy Academy A continues into the next years mm-hmm. or DODN Global Competency Framework Classroom Series continues and how different they may be, as you said, like what um, Carly did as the Ryopa president, our third in line in our little Roosevelt family did, might have looked very different from what I would have done, what you established, but I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. It'd be fun to see all the iterations. Yeah, of course, seeing the progress. Also, Ryopa just hosted, well, co-hosted um, the first consulting challenge. Look at that. See, I'm, I'm a bad alum. I, I clearly missed the newsletters and I need to keep in touch better. But uh, I'm so proud of them now. That's, that's so cool. That's something we talked about since my first year. I'm so happy. I know. Oh, but all in all, I think as a little bit of a wrap up to this lab rat pioneer, first among the first of episodes, um, it's definitely comes with its frustrations being in the first iteration of anything. Like we don't necessarily know what's going on. We don't necessarily know what it's supposed to to be or look like or feel like so how do we even know if it's right or wrong but I do want to say like every program that we've talked about I have had reservations about and I would still recommend participating in if there was the chance maybe participating better than how I went into some of them Um, definitely check your emails more do your readings you know do as I say not don't do as I do be a Susie I mean, yeah, we chose to talk about them because we learned from them and we think they're valuable experiences. Um, Not a commercial for any of them, but if you do get the opportunity to be in any of these or similar programs, take the chance. Go for it. There really isn't anything like being one of the first programs and there's also so much value in taking well-established programs. And I would say, I mean, in my case, I could have never known it back then, but I ended up working in association management and association-based education. And these kind of experiences help with so much more than just resume padding or filling up an afternoon that you don't know how to fill otherwise. Um, It's an opportunity to also see, like, what are other people out there doing? Those, like... Even those breakout rooms that were, oh, I didn't do the readings. So like, what's the weather like where you are? It's an opportunity to get to see your field that you wouldn't necessarily have and to connect with others. So try to have your camera on. Try try to go off mute every so often. That would be my, my big conclusion takeaway piece. And with that, whether you're a lab rat or a pioneer, whether you do your readings or you wing it. Let us know if you've been part of any of these kind of initiatives. Let us know if any other initiative like this should be on our radar. Um, If you were in our cohort, let us know if your perception was different than ours. Agree, disagree, rather not say. Um, Slide into our DMs on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at biascheckin podcast send us an email to info at biascheckin.com 
let us know what you think as always if you have questions research comments on our upcoming neurodivergence episodes let us know if you have topics for our back to basics or stories for our aita episodes also send them our way but with that hope you have a great week hope i see some of you at psyop and have a great week everyone bye Ciao.